Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Well, my name's Mark, if we haven't met. It's great to be with you today and have an opportunity to share uh, from the Word of God, which is where we're going to begin. We're going to be reading from Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. And it says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This verse is going to speak into where we're going today. We've been on a little bit of a journey, which has sort of emerged organically over the last couple of weeks in response to something that we just noticed so many people are going through. We've recognized it in ourselves. This is the concept that Neil illuminated a couple of weeks ago by using the term languishing. Neil preached and he preached and named something that the American psychologist Adam Grant articulated in the New York Times when in 2021 he wrote that there was this kind of phenomenon that as people emerge from all the disruptions that we've been experiencing, trying to emerge into a normal, whatever that looks like, kind of life, that what people were experiencing was a phenomenon of languishing. Languishing is not necessarily depression, but it's a listlessness. It's an inability to look forward. It's an attempt to try and get somewhere, but you feel like you're in quicksand or mud. It's a confusion. It's a a sense of loss. And it's quite a confusing space. We overwhelmingly feel in languishing often that we're disconnected. Just to mark this, I said it last week, I'm going to say it again in case this is you. One thing that we are just hearing so much is that people feel a sense of disconnection. People think it's just them, that they're just isolated, that this is just the phenomenon that's happening to them. But it is happening everywhere and it's part of this bigger term of languishing. So in order to dig into this, three weeks ago, Neil, when he named this, preached on lament, that before you move forward with languishing, you first have to lament what you feel has been missed. You have to work through it emotionally. So we looked at that three weeks ago and did that. Then last week, we talked that the actual way out of languishing is to move towards flourishing. And we did something very symbolic and and prayerful. We actually almost had this walked prayer. We're down the front of the auditorium. We had two olive trees in a pot or four olive trees, two, like which formed a gate. And we invited people prayerfully, if they wanted to, to walk out of the season of languishing towards flourishing as an act of faith. But what I want to talk about today is actually, okay, How then do we get from languishing to flourishing when we've made that decision, we've walked through that gate? How do we do that? And how do we do that in a way which doesn't fall back into the patterns of the past? And what we realized is that people were struggling to do this. People are struggling how to connect. People are struggling how to build up patterns again. People are trying to work out how do we reemerge? How do we move out of this strange amorphous period which very clearly begun but it's not clear when it ends. And just in classic Melbourne example, you know, we talked about spring and spring sprung for a few days and it was lovely and the blossoms are out and then it's just torrential rain and just bleh. So this is the classic thing that Melbourne does is that in, out, in, out, where am I, what's going on, this in-betweenness. Now, what we want to do today is we're going to do something a little bit different. In a moment, or not a moment, in a few moments, Britain and Liddy are going to get up, and what they're going to do is they're going to introduce to us basically a corporate plan that's an invitation, you don't have to do it, but it's a bunch of invitations that we would like to work through together as Red Church to lead us out of this weird in-betweenness Melbourne sort of spring 
2022, because my sense is that when we hit January 2023, it's very much going to feel like things have clicked back to normal. The worst thing would be that in 2023, when things click back to normal and it's sunny and, and life's returning and things are pumping along and people are returning to the office and all these things that have been on pause, my sense is the worst thing that could happen is we just flip back into old patterns and don't actually grab onto the promises that God has for us. So what we're putting before us is, is as a church, is actually a bit of a plan. It's going to go from now-ish, or it's going to, some things will kick off now, some things will kick off in a couple of weeks, the details that are come, but it's going to lead us up to the beginning of the Advent season. Yes, Advent, Christmas is coming. I hate to terrify you. So this is something where if you're feeling listless, if you're feeling like you're languishing, if you feel like healthy patterns are broken, if you're trying to work out how to reconnect, how do I connect back into stuff, we would like to present a quite expansive program of how to do that. And it's actually an invitation. It's a challenge. We're going to come to that in detail. But before we get there and Britt and Liddy come up, I just wanted to lead us through some of the thinking behind us, behind it, and reflect particularly on this first verse, where it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And that's a really key idea. It's talking about two kinds of patterns here. The pattern of worship, where we offer our lives, our bodies, what we do to God, and our minds, our thoughts are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now, this is really, really key. Now, in his article, Adam Grant outlines a mistake that we can make when we want to move out of languishing. And this is something that's in the waters. He says this, People think that in order to flourish, they need to do whatever their version of winning the Olympics is or climbing a mountain or having some epic experience. And what will happen is people will try and do something that they think will snap them out of languishing. And it may be wonderful, it may be a holiday, some kind of experience, some big hurrah moment, but then you find that you go back into languishing. Now the reason this is, and this is key, I haven't got this up on a slide, but if you're writing notes, write this down. Moving from languishing to flourishing is not an event, it's a process. Moving from languishing to flourishing is not an event, it's not an epic event, it's a process. And it's a process that's paved with patterns. That word that we see in Romans 12, patterns, talks about patterns of the world. Humans exist in these patterns. Now, let's define what I mean by patterns. The psychologist, Daniel Goleman, who came up, I think, with the idea of emotional intelligence. Oh, my shoelace is undone. I can't go on. I'm going to trip over. <laughs> it's less embarrassing if I just do it up than fall over mid-making an epic point and have my own epic event. <laughs> psychologist Daniel Goleman notes that our brain has two semi-independent and largely separate mental systems. And these systems run at separate speeds. Now, the one which runs at a slower speed, our slower brain, is aware of the decisions it makes. It is where our self-control, our willpower exists. It chooses to focus its, its attention on singular items, such as what are we engaging in consciously in that moment? If you're doing a mathematical equation, this is your slower brain. You're writing an essay. You're trying to remember where you placed your keys. This is where focus exists. This is the space where you build something. You create things. You're focused on a task, and your brain is going, and it's focusing everything on that moment. Now, we as humans have many senses. We're not just focusing on the mathematical equation that we're working on in our notebook. Our ears are still open, our eyes, our skin, our smell. We're attuned to things all the time, like the sense of the temperature. Now, just think at this moment, you are sitting on a seat, but most of you are probably not thinking about the seat you're sitting on. Just for a moment, come to attention at the kind of seat you're sitting on. Is it a hard wood seat? No. 
It's a cushion seat. It's got a texture. You may not be sensing the warmth of sitting on that seat. You're probably not thinking about whether you've got two feet on the ground, one foot up, are your legs crossed? All of these things we block out. So that's the other part of our brain in action. And that's our faster brain. And it runs on a kind of autopilot where it filters out stimuli so that we can focus. Now, the other interesting thing is your faster brain is driven by desires, impulses, and emotions. This is when you're trying to do the essay, yet your stomach is a little bit rumbling, you're starting to think about what you'll have for lunch. This is when you're trying to focus on something, and yet a really bright car drives by, and you're distracted for a second. Lucky a grey car just went by. This is when you've got a big talk to give, say, and you're really focused on it, and you really do want to do well, and then someone comes up to you and tells you about something that they think is negative about you. And you're trying to give the talk, but your emotions, your identity is all up in the air and you're completely thrown. This happens to us all the time. Now, what's interesting about this faster brain, yes, it's the thing which deals with desires, impulses and emotions, but it's also the command center of our habits, driving our behavior and actions. Now, habits are really key because what habits do is habits help us go on autopilot to filter out the stimulation. Otherwise, we'd be completely overrun. Many of you, if you drove here today, probably did not think heaps about the act of driving. Have you ever gotten somewhere and you're like, I can't remember how I got home. I just was driving on the freeway. I don't remember a whole lot about it because you're thinking about other things. Maybe you're listening to the radio, listening to a podcast, talking to the person in the car next to you. Many of us would not remember actually brushing our teeth this morning. Just something that you do. Have you ever thought about how hard it is to eat and not bite your tongue, and yet we do it all the time? Now, thinking about this sermon, I started thinking about this, and what started to happen is I started to almost bite my tongue as I was eating. And that's when we actually just allow things to actually go onto, onto autopilots. So habits are absolutely essential for humans. So you focus on some things, and then you have habits which allow you, like a computer, just downloading stuff, running stuff in the background. Now, what's really interesting is that those who wish to influence others to get them to do something actually don't have to change their beliefs about something in order to get them to do something. That is change our slower, more deliberate, more focused, more conscious brain. Rather, what we need to do is to hijack the more distracted, faster brain, which controls our habits and actions. And this can be done through appealing to our emotions, desires, and longings. Now, very much today, you'll see governments, different advocacy organizations try and change public perception or action around something in particular. And often that's done through information. They'll put up something, make sure you do this, they'll put up information. It's an attempt to control our conscious, deliberate brain. That's gotten even more intense as the world has got more complex and our society's got more complex and there's not one like moral code which runs everything. Our society increasingly has become something around call-out culture. What call-out culture is, is shaming people for not changing their cognitive brain. Now, in pastoral ministry, you get a lot of experience over the years with people who have addictions, negative behaviours, the stuff that they do, which is toxic or bad. It could be anger, it could be violence. It could be emotions that overrun them, anxiety. It could be addictions that they turn to when they're struggling, trying to find a sense of self-medication. And what you discover is that virtually none of this is a cognitive decision. In ministry, I've visited prisons and sat with people who are in for terrible crimes, 
No one in there is like, I made a decision, I want to be here. There's not a cognitive decision they made at 12, like, prisons for me. They actually find themselves in there through a whole set of circumstances and patterns which lead them there. And so, our society often gets it wrong that we try and convince people by changing their slower brain, but there's a different way of changing people. And this is the hijacking of our emotions, our desires. Now, it's really interesting. Government tries to convince people through giving them information or increasingly through almost shaming people or whatever, but I studied advertising. And advertisers are absolutely brilliant at actually engaging our emotions, our desires. This is why you buy that car, not because it's the most functional car, but actually because it gives you a sense of power. It connects with your sense of desire to be seen, to have a place in the social hierarchy. And in our day, this is done even more powerfully when we actually have social technology, which can hijack our attention in an absolute millisecond. I was on a plane recently, and we got delayed, not for long, for about 10 minutes or something on the tarmac, and next to me, it was a smaller plane, next to me, a young woman sits down, and there's a delay, so she gets out her phone. And she's got her phone there, and what struck me was all of the images she was looking at, she was on Instagram, and all of the images she was looking at were other young women who were clearly trying to communicate the fact that they were flourishing in their lives. They were on holidays. They were looking beautiful. They were using this beauty product. They were eating this food. They were at this party. They were doing all these things which were the image of, I am flourishing. And what the woman next to me was doing, and she just had her nails obviously done, like she had some impressive nails. And not only do I, I notice that, but I heard their durability because what she did was, she had a phone, and she was like this. And she would tap, 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 stop. She would see something that grabbed her attention, and then she would stop, and if it really got attention, she would click in and look at that image and look at that product or whatever, and then back out. And it just kept going on. This went on like for 10, 15 minutes. Like, like she was so fast. Boom. Boom. Images are flourishing, boom. And it's actually quite bizarre when, you, when you're in that experience yourself and you look at things and, oh, that's interesting, that shirt's on sale, whatever. You're looking through. You don't realize it because, in a sense, your brain is, is hijacked. But when you're standing like I was in this sort of conscious, slow space watching this, this young woman trawl through these images, I'm like, hang on, I can see what's happening here. Somewhere in California, somewhere, there's a mainframe computer logging all this information of what she's interested in, filtering out, okay, don't give her that, she's not interested in that, focus on this stuff, focus on this stuff. You can actually do this. I recently did this where I thought, I'm only going to, on my Instagram, I'm only going to look at things which is from Central Asia. Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, an image came up, and I'm just going to do this. My Instagram now is completely confused and thinks I'm from Tajikistan, and now is giving me restaurants that serve traditional Mongol food. Because I just broke the system, right? So what you do is, it is, it is just farming you. So what I realized was this young woman, she wants, lang she wants flourishing, but actually what she's getting is, she's just a chicken, a caged chicken, pecking at the Pavlovian little thing, giving her a little reward. Stop, stop or while that, that data is going somewhere. So this tells us there's a big difference between desiring and wishing for flourishing and establishing patterns which lead towards it. Aristotle said, you are what you repeatedly do. Often we think we are what we believe, and that's true, what we hope for, but ultimately what shapes us is what we repeatedly do. Just think of the countless people who wish to be healthy, and yet find themselves purchasing junk foods. The ads for junk food often come when you're tired. They come at night when people are, are, are down. You're driving to Ballarat and you stop for petrol and that's right there. I was going to do this. Oh, it's a two-hour drive. <laughs> people who end up doing things they morally oppose. 
but just find themselves falling into it because of addiction or hijacking. Just think of how many times a day you reach for your phone for no reason. Our governments try and educate us. Advocacy groups try and educate us. But the real masters distract us with our desires and hijack our patterns. So in the end, patterns and habits always win out over beliefs and desire. So therefore, this leads us to a, a definition of patterns. What are patterns? You're always doing them. Nowhere here has no pattern. To just be in stasis and do nothing is still a pattern. Patterns are the inputs, habits, and rituals that shape our personal life architecture, determining the health of our lives. So this means all of us, believer or non-believer, puts our attention on something. The poet, Mary Oliver, said, attention is worship. Everyone's worshipping. Atheist, agnostic, believer. Everyone's always worshipping by putting their attention on something. Everyone's always doing rituals. Everyone is constantly in a temple. We're always in church, no matter where you are, because everything is church, you could argue, because everything is the formation of a pattern, and you're directing your attention to it. Humans are created in the garden to have a royal priestly vocation, to be mediators between God and the world, being shaped by the ways of God, and then participating in the kingdom of God as we bring that order to the world, to go forth, to rule or subdue, to flourish. This is why worship is so important. But when we're hijacked, by the things of the world, that pattern of being shaped by God, by God's patterns, worshipping him, and then bring those patterns into the world so that the kingdom of God comes in the world, that gets reversed. What happens is we're then shaped by the world, and that changes our worship of God. We begin worshipping the things of the creation versus worshipping the creation. This is why Alexander Shaman laments that the human, when this happens, ceased to be the priest of the world and became its slave. We can wish and desire for a renewal, be it for ourselves or the church or our culture, yet we can do so with divided hearts, living out patterns of worship that undermine renewal and flourishing. Now, with this background, we can come back to that verse in Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. But this is exactly what Paul is getting at, at this group of Christians who live really in the capital of the world at this time in Rome. Rome surrounded by all kinds of different temples to the pantheon of Roman gods, the Colosseum, with the most brutal entertainment, the markets, everything around was asking, demanding, distracting. Juvenile, the Roman satirist, said that the people are distracted with bread, food, and circuses, entertainment. They hijack continually. So into this space, Paul says to the church in Rome, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So it's our bodies, it's our patterns, it's everything we do. It's not just what we think and what we desire, it's also the form of our lives, what we're choosing to do in the real world. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this means we worship with the pattern of our lives, either towards God or away from Him. And why patterns are key is what patterns do is they form us. Patterns form us. If we direct them towards the world, we become more like the world. If we direct them to the things that are idols, we become more like the idols. If we just eat purely junk food, we end up looking like junk food. If we just watch TV all the time, we become passive. We look like the TV. But actually, when our patterns are patterns of worship that point towards Christ, we become more like Christ's. And, and what happens is our heart begins to be formed after God, the patterns of our mind. What we focus our attention on will become, and when we focus our attention on God and create patterns which push us towards Him, regardless of what we're feeling in that moment. This does something really key in us. Tom Wright says this, 
The habits of heart, mind, and life to which we are called are designed to form us. Designed to form us. Gradually and bit by bit into a people who can, with the hard-won second nature that we call virtue, freely and gladly take forward these tasks. When you're formed, when you establish healthy patterns, when you establish holy habits, what you will find, that moment will come unless you choose the right thing to do. There's an ad at the moment uh, in Victoria, and uh, I'm not sure if it's still on, it was on in the last couple of years, and it's, it's a train, and it's uh, the Met, and there is a man staring really creepily at a woman. And what the ad is saying is, don't stare creepily at women. And the guy looks horrible and he's creepy and it's like, don't do this. Now, I 100% believe women should not be creepily stared at. But I have an argument with the tactic here. Perhaps it's my old advertising brain. I think people who find themselves doing that, they're not doing it cognitively. If someone's staring at woman creepily on a train, there is thousands of tiny little bricks that have built that ugly building. They go way back to staring at a woman as an object in a magazine, seeing that all around, watching that, seeing that. That's just the end, really toxic, of a, end of a process that's begun. Just telling someone not to do that mis misses out the entire way that that person has been formed. And that's what our culture often wants to do. We just want to talk, look at the end bit, but then we don't want to look at the whole system that actually forms people towards these things. We don't want to do that with ourselves. So what we put our attention on is actually creating then this ability to have a second nature. We'll respond. If you've never learned to have any self-discipline, you always give in. Self-discipline, character, these things are formed by these habits of heart, mind, and life. Now, I just want to just bring this to the church because something is really key that is happening in the church and we have an incredible opportunity in this moment when we've come back after this period of not being able to meet, after this period of lots of these patterns in our lives breaking. One of the reasons that many people feel languishing at the moment is the patterns that we'd run on, the automatic pilot that many of us had run on for years, actually got paused. That's what lockdown did. New patterns emerged, some positive, some negative. Now, in 2019, I preached a sermon called A Line in the Sand. And I went back and listened to it. I was quite amazed how it's like so relevant again. And how what I was talking about played out in really different ways than what was expected. I was talking about some research done by the Barna Group in America, who researched multiple nations across the world, particularly for millennials, but I think it applies to multiple generations, around what are the ways that we approach church our lives? And how do people sort of interact with these things? And what they found was there was four kinds of people across the world, four different categories they could place people under. And here they are. First one is resilience. The second one is habituals. The third one is nomads. The fourth one is prodigals. The resilience are marked by strong faith and strong patterns of faith. These people make time to pray, to read their scriptures. They're in church regularly. They're part of discipleship groups. They're doing mission. They're serving the poor. These people are doing the strong patterns that Christians have been called to do, which form them in the ways of Christ, and they have a strong faith. Then they'll have habituals. Habituals were interesting. They're actually in a lot of those things. They may be regular church attenders. They may even be in a regular discipleship group. But actually, they have quite a weak faith. When you look at some basic markers of what it is to be a Christian, I'm not even talking super Christian stuff here, they don't have them. Another term you would call this is cultural Christians. People who just culturally go because it's what they've always done or it's what the cultural pressure encourages you to do. Then there were nomads. Nomads had faith, but they didn't have the patterns. They had a belief in Jesus. They had a belief that he was saviour. But... They become disengaged from church. They didn't attend patterns. And then there were the prodigals. The prodigals were once in church, 
They once had patterns, they once had faith, but no longer do they have faith or do they have patterns. Now, what was really interesting is when 2020 happened, what everyone began to look at was two areas. Number one was, well, what this is going to do, and I even said this myself, is all the habituals who are just coming at a sense of comfort, they're not going to come anymore because there's this period when you had to come and you had to sort of, we couldn't sing and there was social distancing and people like, they're going to completely drop off. The other thing that people talked about was this whole thing of people are deconstructing their faith. They hadn't been in church for a period and they stopped and they started looking at things and, and they deconstructed their faith and walked away and became prodigals. Now, what was really interesting is what I just described happened in America. If you look at the stats of America, huge amount of habituals. You saw many of them drop away quite radically in a short period of time. But it wasn't just about the pandemic, it was about a bunch of other things. And then you saw people starting to deconstruct, which then is like a meme which comes into our culture. But what's really interesting is Australia is very different. Now, I went back and looked at the stats, and Australia is very different. Number one, Australia actually has quite a good number of like sort of the 10% amount of resilience, which is very similar to even countries which have a lot more Christians than us. We've still got a significant amount of people in church who have a strong faith and strong patterns. What Australia doesn't have is many habituals compared to other countries. Like, so when the pandemic comes, there's not many of them to walk away. Like, it is not culturally, you're not going to get much cultural cachet in Australia rocking up to your local RSL, cafe, wherever, and say, hey, I'm a Christian. Like, in fact, our entire culture talks about how Aussies are not very religious. The other interesting thing is a lot of the prodigals in the Australian church had already left, like years ago. But what I realized was happening in Australia was actually something really different. Now, bring this back to often we end up doing what we don't want to do. Often our behavior actually leads first before our beliefs. What was happening in Australia, and this was happening before 2020, was you had people who were resilient, and we'll go to the next slide, but resilience, not because they stopped believing, but because they started stepping out to patterns, saw patterns as less as less important, because that's what's happening in the whole of our culture. The whole of our culture has these desire for things, but less and less adherence to patterns. We have a tremendous belief in community, in our culture. Everyone laments the loss of community. There's very few people who say, I think we should be more isolated. There is this tremendous, on the left and the right, people everywhere, there's a loss of community. Yet, at the same time, people do not see the need that actually the only way, you talk to a sociologist, the only way that you're going to build a sense of community is through patterns. It's the groups, the institutions that choose to meet together. We instead have this weird idea that community is some vibe that we're just going to pick up somehow, somewhere, like an event. Now, because our whole culture is pushing away from patterns and we're constantly hijacked, what this means is that what is dropping off is not so much belief, but it's patterns. But inevitably, the dropping off of patterns will then lead to a dropping off of belief. So the big threat to the next renewal that God wants to do in our nation is that resilient disciples unintentionally but habitually become nomads, coming less, engaging less. And nomads very often then become prodigals. It's a process. And if they don't become prodigals, their kids do. But the good news is, you can reverse those arrows and their directions. You can actually move people backwards. We can actually strengthen the church. We can actually recharge our faith. We can actually lay a foundation for renewal when we establish healthy patterns that lead to flourishing. And you see this again and again in the story and the history of the church. You see this in the Old Testament when the people of God again picked up the Torah and began to read it in public. You see this in the church as they began to pray and meet and worship in anticipation of those moments before the Holy Spirit fell. The Holy Spirit falls and then you see the church gathering 
and going forth, doing these repeating patterns, every revival, awakening, and renewal that you see then in the history of the church after the Bible, there is always the establishment of new patterns. The patterns that were perhaps going through, that people had a sense of tradition and duty, all of a sudden, God breathes fire and new life into them, and they're rebooted. So to reform our life patterns towards renewal, to initiate life-giving, Christ-focused habits, this is an investment in the future that God wishes to bring for you, for us as the church, for our culture. So four ways forward, real quick, before Brit and Lydia get up. If you can write anything down, write these down. If you're hearing this and you're like, right, I want to establish new patterns. Patterns formation needs four things. Number one, it needs a re-evaluation. I'm going to be completely honest. Everyone today is busy. So if you're going to start new patterns, you're probably going to have to put some other patterns that are not leading you to flourishing down or that are just neutral. If you want to establish life-giving patterns that lead you towards flourishing and renewal, you probably have to put another pattern down. We read last week as we passed through the Olive Gates The verse from Isaiah 62, verse 10. Pass through, pass through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. So this highway is getting built towards God through the the gates. But then it says this, remove the stones. There are some patterns that are stones in your life. They're not leading to flourishing. They may be leading to passivity, to stasis, to negativity, leading you away from God. So you need to do a... Holy Spirit, prayerful re-evaluation of what are the patterns of your life. You may want to even do that this afternoon, just in a quiet half hour. What are the patterns? How do I spend my time? What do I need to put down in order to pick something good up? And Aussies do not like to put down good stuff. But you may need to put down good stuff that is not leading towards flourishing. We can't do it all. The second thing is, pattern formation needs commitment. It's again, it's not an event, it's not an epic experience, it's a commitment which you choose to do and you've got to follow it through. Do it again and again. And there's a particular period where it can feel hard, but then you get to the point, it's like exercise, it might be like you create a pattern of exercise or healthy eating and it's really hard and there's that period where what's going to get you through that initial difficult period is actually commitment and you can pray to Christ, Christ is willing to pour out gifts on us and give us commitment. And then you get to this point when it's established as a habit, as a pattern, that then when you go back and eat that junk food or don't exercise, you feel weird. But you need that commitment to push through. And that's often where it falls over. Because we hear negative feelings, commitment, this is difficult, that must be bad. No, deconstruct that script. It's false. Third, pattern formation needs other people. Pattern formation is done socially. Humans are social creatures. Everything's a temple, everything's a church, everything's done with others. No man is an island. Pattern formation needs community. This is why the invitation that that we're gonna share with you is actually done together. This is not about how you go and do it and there's gonna be some people in this room, maybe you've got an incredible amount of self-discipline and personal gravitas that you can pull off something like this. But for most of us, other mere humans, We need to do this with others. This is what the church is. The church is people coming together with patterns that point us towards Christ. Now, as I said too, we've got an idea of a vibe, idea of community that's just gonna be happen. I'm gonna go to this church and go for three weeks and like the vibe of community will just embrace me. It never happens like that. Relationships are built brick by brick. Often the other mistake we make is I want to go to a church or a community or whatever and find people who are like me because I want community with people who are like me. Rocky and Apollo Creed. They fought each other in Rocky 1. But then they just started training with each other in Rocky 2. And then by Rocky 3, they're awesome mates. Rocky never expected to have community with Apollo Creed, but they created patterns... And then when Apollo Creed died, okay, I'll stop there. (laughs) I did not intend to do that. But it's so true. If you pursue community, I'm going to go there. It's got community. If you pursue community and relationship head on, you won't get it. But when you do patterns, you do stuff with other people, it's like a little bird that just one day, oh, it's on my shoulder. Community's there. Relationship is there. It's built over time. 
Some have said it's communitas. It's not community. Communitas is when you together go for a goal, and it's all about the goal, but just in getting to the goal, you build relationships with others. Relationships cannot be microwaved. Lastly, this is going to be contested. You go home today and you say, I want to build patterns. Yeah, I've been in this season, a bunch of stuff stopped. I don't want to do that. I want to get rid of that stone in my life. I want to establish that new pattern. Yep, I'm going for it. We're going for it. Let me tell you now, the enemy who does not want to see you flourish actually wants to see you languish. Is very happy when you're languishing because you're not a threat for the kingdom. The enemy will contest. Your flesh will contest this straight up. You're going, I'm going to pray. I'm going to get up tomorrow. You're going to get up and pray, and there's going to be every kind of seduction and temptation and distraction coming your way against your brain. Others will speak down to you. Part of you will get frustrated. I've literally seen, as we've talked about this, invited people to walk through the gates, almost it rising in some people, to be honest. This is going to be contested. So the last pattern formation is prayer. You need to bathe this in prayer. We need to bathe this in prayer. We need to see this as a, this is an act of spiritual warfare because the enemy does not want you establishing patterns that lead you to flourishing. It's one of the greatest investments that we can make, partnering with God. So we need to bathe this in prayer. So what are we going to do now? I'm going to invite Britt and Liddy forward. And this is not anything anyone has to do. This is... That was my fast brain getting distracted there. Um, This is not anything that you have to do. This is an invitation. The worst thing is when patterns become devoid of the Spirit, they become religious. More patterns without the Holy Spirit is just going to get you more exhausted. I say this like as someone who is busy. I'm a dad with kids. There's moments in the last years I've been so tired. But what I've learned is that patterns actually move us towards flourishing. And this is also a vision for our church. This is not just an individual self-help life management program. Yes, can it bring flourishing to our lives, our individual lives? Absolutely. But if we're going to rebuild a church which leads to renewal in the next season... If we're going to build something with God, if we're going to step into the invitation, we need to do that together and we need to do that with patterns and practices. Over to you, Rocky and Apollo Creed. (laughs) No joke, literally thinking about how I was going to enter the stage before, Mark, you started talking about Rocky and I was like, I reckon we should cue the Rocky music. You know, like coming on. It's a call. Now there's a challenge for the end of the service. Yeah, so Samuel, you can find that Rocky music. Anyway, jokes aside, this is a a challenge that we're inviting each and every one of you into to join with us. It's a challenge for me and a challenge for you, Britt. So we're going to share with you a bunch of different things that we're inviting you to participate in. Most of these, on a practical note, are going to start at the beginning of October. So it's the beginning of Term 4. So we've still got a couple of weeks until some of these kick off. Yeah. First one, real simple. Mm. Are you ready? Yes. Oh, we are ready. Here it is. Gather with us every week for Sunday services. So whether this is 9 a.m. or 11 a.m., mm-hmm. gather. Come, Come in. Yeah. Come along. Yeah, Connect yeah. with people. Next pattern. Prayer. All right, guys. We have put prayer literally all over the week. All, all over it. All over it. Mornings, evenings, midday. If you're a male, if you're a female, if you're a kid. If you're young, old, you can attend one of these prayer meetings. There are numerous ones you can see. So many different ones. Just on that note, Liddy created this wonderful little booklet that is on a table at the back. So when you leave, you're going to have all these details because let's be honest, that's a long list. Um, You're not going to remember them. You (laughs) might. You might. Congrats if you can. Um, So you can take this home with you. Also, if you go to our What's On page, there's a calendar even with these plugged in. So you can have a look and work out when you can fit in prayer and contend. As Mark said, that's really key. So this is why we've prioritised this. Come, pray with different people, different times of day. Um, Yeah. 
Just also on that, just a little nifty aside, if you're the kind of person who likes to directly upload things into an iCalendar, there's a little link in our calendar that you can just upload it directly into your calendar. Right? Yeah. Great. Woo! Um, okay, so, so many prayer opportunities. Did you just run through the list and I missed it? No, I didn't. Okay, I just great. said there were a lot. I just Pre-service prayer. If yeah. you come at 9 a.m. No. Or at 11 a.m. Oh, yeah. Well, the time's different. Go on. Yeah, you pray beforehand. We invite you to join that. There's men's prayer yes. on Mondays. Prayer with prams. <laughs> Is that how you push a pram? I don't know. Yeah, all right. Um... Prayer for Red and Renewal. That's our Tuesday night prayer. It is a call out to God to move in our time. Yes. Praying the Psalms. They're, the Psalms. They are prayers and songs that are already written for us. They're beautiful. That's online as well. So if you can't actually make it in person, there's one you can jump on in line. You could do that in your lunch break. Yep. Yep. Reflect and reboot is an opportunity to end the day together. I was hoping for a movement there. That's fine. Oh, I'm sorry. That's fine. What Anyone? What's a reboot? Reflect and reboot. Yeah, good, good. Yeah. Excellent. I'm not going to do that again. Um, devotional <laughs> prayer on Thursday mornings and then prayer for salvation in the evenings. Yeah, it's good. So there's more information on the website as well about what each one is. But, yeah, the heart is actually praying, coming, sitting with others, seeking God, talking with him, declaring who he is and stepping into that. Yeah. Yes. Next pattern. Next pattern. This one definitely requires the rocky music, I reckon. Yeah. Pattern intensive. <clears throat> do you want to start talking about it and I'll do some background music for you? Go. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm distracted. I can't do that. Anyway. Daniel. Classic. Okay. Focus. Here we are. Pattern intensive. This is for you if you're like, do you know what? I'm really fired up from what Mark's just shared and I want to step into that mm. and I want to do that alongside others, then you can. We are doing this on Sunday afternoons from the 9th of October, 4.30 till 6pm and it's a space to step into flourishing. We're going to pray, we're going to read the word, we're going to sit together, we're going to do a bunch of stuff um, and we're really excited of doing that. So if that's you, please register for this. Also, maybe you had some of these habits and they've fallen off and you're like, I really need that push and that space to do it with others. That's also for you. Or you know what? If it's never been modelled, if you've never seen what does it look like to pray, to stand, to worship, to be really active in my faith, this is also that space for you. So if you're in any of those categories or if you are like, actually, I'm just intrigued. What are, those, what are they going to do? Register. Go to redchurch.org.au, go to the What's On page and you can register for that. I will be leading it and Liddy. I will also be leading it. And, and Daniel, Daniel. Give us a wave. Oh, there he is. That wasn't a wave but it was, yeah, yeah it great. was a good Pattern intensive. It's going to be great. Sign up on the website. We will also be sharing more information with you as the weeks go on. Uh, what was our next one? Oh, yes, there it is. Um, huddles. If you are in a huddle or some form of discipleship group, this is a call out to you and a reminder to intentionally gather regularly. It's really easy um, to get to the day and be like, mm, I'm a bit tired. Probably not this week. But I encourage you, just as Mark said, it takes commitment and it takes, um, yeah, commitment to build community. So do that. Also, if you're not in a huddle and you're like, I'd really like to be in one. Well, we're going to launch them in 2023. Three. I didn't write that correctly on the screen. That's fine. Uh, in 2023. So, and you're like, mm, if I want to get a little taster of what a huddle is like, come along to Pattern Intensive. We're going to be using the huddle model as part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Great. All right, final one. We've done so Final well. one. Pick up the pattern of asking reflective questions. John Wesley, he led a revival about 200 years ago um, and many people that were in that revival started asking these questions and helped use – these questions helped them form patterns in their life. And there's 22 of them and they're on the back of your booklet. They are. So if today you're like, I want to take a step towards – what I feel like God's inviting me into, you could literally do that with these questions. And some of them are really, really simple, yes. um, you know, about spending time. Um, anyway, some of them are pretty, pretty hectic, which is good. Daniel was reading them at me this week in the office <laughs> and it was challenging. Um, you know, things like, do you have pride? And I was like, well, Daniel, that's a good question. Um, 
maybe I should ask God. Thank you. So anyway, great questions. 22 of them. You could use them with your time in the morning, in the afternoon or in the evening. But a really good way to just be like, God, I'm in. I want to do this. I want to actually genuinely reflect and be like, how can I reevaluate? How can I commit? How can I find that community by being alongside others and doing this? And how can I pray? Don't forget you get your booklet on the way out. Pick up a pattern. Thank you so much, guys. Let's stand. The heart behind all of this is an invitation. It is an invitation. It's a thing we'll be doing together as a church. Uh, There is no compulsion here, but there is a challenge. I really encourage you, do not read those Wesley questions uh, unless you want to grow. Uh, Do not do this stuff if you do not want to grow. But if you're looking for something to lead out of this season, to prepare us for Advent, And my real heart is that this is going to actually establish patterns that build incredible growth in us as a church and as individuals. It's not about doing more stuff. It's about deliberately praying what is the stuff that God is asking you to do, what is he asking you to put down, but also what he's asking you to pick up. Let's pray before we go into worship. Father, we recognize the moment. We recognize the moment you have us at. We recognize the pause that we've been in. We recognize in many of us that sense of languishing. But God, we know that you have a heart of flourishing for us. You have an invitation to move towards your best for us as individuals, as a church. And so God, we want to say yes to that. But we need your wisdom. We need your discernment. So just at this moment, I just pray that the Holy Spirit will come. It will lead. It will guide if needs be, challenge, convict. What do we need to pit down? What do we need to pick up in Jesus' name? And I want to pray, Father, that these patterns that we establish now can actually be the forms, the containers in which a fire is created. Father, we need your power. We need the Spirit. And God, we want to build a latticework of patterns that enables your great tree of life to grow. So we just pray at this moment, speak to us as we worship, speak to us in the days to come. God, thank you that you have a way for us and we may pray that we may faithfully follow it. So as we offer this worship up to you now, may you speak to us about how we need to repattern our lives, our minds, our bodies, our choices, our decision after you. Thank you.